All right. We're going to go ahead and get started this morning. So uh, if you have your text, uh, turn in your Bible with me uh, to the book of Acts. Uh, We have been and will be in the book of Acts for a little while now. And uh, last week we started a new series uh, entitled Growth God's Way. Growth God's Way. And uh, my intent uh, for us is to look through uh, the scriptures, in particular the New Testament, starting in the book of Acts, and ask this question. Uh, what are some of the characteristics of churches that experience growth God's way? Uh, some, what are some of the habits? What are some of the things that churches do or churches avoid, churches don't do, uh, so that they can experience God's growth, so that they can be healthy, uh, functional, New Testament churches? And so we will see this morning part two of growth God's way. And uh, if you have your Bibles, uh, the book of Acts is where we're going to be, chapter 1. And find with me verse 12. Chapter 1, verse 12 is where we're going to be this morning. And we will actually just focus on uh, three little verses. Uh, Verses 12, 13, and 14 is where we're going to see. Uh, Last week we saw uh, the first characteristic of churches uh, that experience growth God's way. And that is they are uh, on mission. Uh, Churches that experience growth God's way know their mission. And so we looked at Acts 1.8 when the disciples received their mission from Jesus uh, to be witnesses um, everywhere, right? Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth and that they should wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit who would come and enable them to be witnesses of him. And so uh, the first characteristics uh, last week is uh, is mission. Churches know their mission. Uh, This morning, part two of growth, God's way. Before we jump in, would you do this? Would you pray with me one more time? And uh, we'll calm our hearts and our minds and ask God to bless us. Father, um, again, thank you for the time that we have this morning. Spirit, we ask that you would calm our hearts and our minds, that you would help our minds to be attentive, that we would set aside the things of this morning or this afternoon, uh, things that we have to do, worries that we may have. I pray that you would help us to be attentive to your word. Um, You have spoken clearly to us from your word. You have revealed yourself, and you have revealed in your New Testament what it is that we should be as a church. And so help us, Father, um, to hear it, not just to hear it, but to understand it, Uh, not just to understand it, but to do it and to put it into practice. Father, we, like the churches of old and throughout history, want to experience growth in your way. We want to become mature. We want to be healthy. We want to add uh, numbers, and we want to honor you in all that we do for the kingdom of Christ. And so help us to do that this morning. Help me to speak clearly, powerfully, um, without error. Be with me. Guard my lips. I ask for your help now. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, This past uh, week, actually I think it was the week of of New Year's, uh, I believe in fact it was New Year's Eve, wasn't it Shelly, that we, yeah it was, New Year's Eve, um, Shelly and I decided to uh, get away from Asher and uh, go shopping. We had a few things to get, Uh, really our our list was short, uh, but we uh, kissed goodbye to our baby boy and we left him with grandma and grandpa, which is always a nice thing to do. And uh, Shelly and I took off to Champaign on our own to do some shopping. And uh, really, like I said, our our shopping list was very short. Uh, We didn't really have too many things that we really wanted to get. In fact, one of our, in fact, I would say the main reason that we decided to go was to look for a dresser drawers for Asher. Um, We were experiencing at this point kind of an overflow of clothing. I'm amazed at how much he has as a two-year-old. And so we need some more space with the new baby uh, on the way. Um, his drawer was, is going to become her drawer, which, by the way, we're having a girl, uh, which we're excited about. 
And uh, so, uh, you know, his drawers are going to be her drawers. And so we needed some new drawers. We needed a, uh, a dresser. And so that was our mission, if you will. That was my mission for sure. I don't know if it was Shelley's. I think it was. But it was certainly my mission uh, to go and to find a dresser drawers. And so um, you know how shopping goes. I think there's a bit of a difference sometimes when it comes to shopping and philosophy and approach between men and women. Uh, this is probably not always true, but I think generally speaking it's true. And so we go shopping, and, and as I guess maybe a prototypical male, I had a mission and my mission was to go to Champagne that day and to get a dresser drawers for Asher. We had set aside time to go and do that. In fact, we spent several hours in Champagne looking for a dresser. And so in my mind's eye, that was our mission, and that was what that time was allotted to. And so you know how shopping goes. Um, we went to the first store, and we, you know, found a few things, but we found one that, that would, would work. It was uh, the right color. Um, it was big enough. We thought the space would be pretty good. Um, Price-wise, it was a little bit more than what we anticipated, you know, so we thought, we're going to go to the next store. Apparently, this is what you do when you shop. You don't just get the first one. <laughs> That's what I do. But, um, so we went to the next store, and we shopped, and we looked, and we found one that we really liked. It was a white dresser. Um, it was very antique-ish, which really fits our motif, and uh, it was very, uh, very attractive. Um, we really loved how it looked. It would fit. The color would fit with the scheme. Um, the price was actually very good, um, cheaper than what we thought. It was, it was kind of on sale, or I thought it was reasonable at least, um, but the space wasn't very good. When we looked at the drawers, the drawers weren't very deep, and there weren't very many drawers, and so we decided to move on, and so we went to store number three and four, and you get the drift of how our shopping experience went. Finally, we saw another one at the last store that we went to, uh, two of them actually, but one in particular that uh, the color we thought would would be okay, you know, and the and the and and the the space was pretty good, but the price was just a little bit higher than what we wanted, and so uh, for me, at the end of the day, when uh, we were kind of talking, you know, we were like, which one? Which one do you like? You know, which one should we try to get? You know, you know how those conversations go. And for me, I was like, well, here are our options. We're on a mission. We got option one. Here's pros and cons. Option two, pros and cons. Option three, pros and cons. Let's just get one. <laughs> you know what I mean? That was my mission. That was my goal, was to go and allot that time and to get a dresser. That's what we were there for, I thought. <laughs> Apparently, we were just there to shop <laughs> and to find the ideal one. And so we had you know, this conversation, and my wife, who's wiser beyond her years, convinced me and helped me realize that we don't want to spend that much money and not get something that we're not perfectly happy with. You know, we should wait and find one on sale or find the one that we really like, you know, before we get it and get just the perfect one. And so at the end of the day, um, I was convinced that, you know, we had a mission and it was to get a dresser, but we hadn't found the right one. You know, it just, it just wasn't time. It just wasn't time to complete the mission in that moment. You know, as we get back into the, the book of Acts and as we get back into the lives of the disciples, I think this is probably a very similar position, uh, similar feelings to what they must have felt. If you recall last week in Acts 1, uh, 1 through 8, um, the disciples were given their mission. Jesus said to go be witnesses, and they had their goal. They had their mission. They knew what they were supposed to do. And putting myself in their shoes, I would imagine, they probably were pretty excited about that. They knew their mission. They knew finally what they were supposed to do. They were on mission. They had a goal in mind, like my goal was to get a dresser that day. 
But if you recall, Jesus said, here's your mission, but wait. You remember that? He said, but you have to wait because you can't do it by yourself. The Holy Spirit in a few days, and it, it, it ends up being 10 days after Jesus ascends, and Pentecost comes, and the Spirit comes and indwells them and enables them to be the missionaries that they're supposed to be. But there was a period of waiting. They had a mission, but they had to wait. It wasn't time to go on mission quite yet. And so what would you do? I began to put myself in their shoes and I asked, what would these 10 days be like? I mean, what would you do if you were them? You had a mission. You wanted to go tell your wife whom uh, probably was like, why are you following this guy around for three years? Come home. You wanted to go tell your father who thought this crucified Messiah surely is not the Messiah, the Son of God. All of the people who doubted you, you wanted to go be on mission with them. But you couldn't. You had to wait. And so what would you do? What would I do? I mean, what could they do as they waited? In Acts chapter 1, verses 12 through 14, we're going to discover exactly what they did. What did they do before they went on mission? We're going to discover that they prayed. That's what they did. And this is the second characteristic of churches that experience growth God's way. They pray. So the first First thing that churches do is they go on mission. But secondly, they are characterized by prayer. So let's go ahead and read the text together, verses uh, 12 through 14. Um, Read along in your Bibles or up on the screen. And then what we're going to discover is this. I want you to see three things. And so if you're taking notes, you know, typical three-point sermon, song and a dance, and we'll be done. No no dance, probably. Uh, And I've already sung my song. Uh, But three points is what we're going to be doing. Uh, Three things I want us to see about churches that pray. So let's read in verse 12. Then, after Jesus ascended, then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, uh, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James. And this is where we're going to focus, is verse 14. All these, uh, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. And so we're going to focus our efforts in verse 14, and what we're going to discover is three things, three characteristics, if you will, of churches that pray. And so if you're taking notes, uh, write this down. Number one, Churches that pray get, uh, involve everyone in prayer. Churches that pray, churches that are characterized by prayer, involve everyone in prayer. Uh, notice the very first uh, two words in the book, uh, in chapter, excuse me, verse 14. Uh, the first few words. It says this, all these. Notice the first word. It's very important. Let's not skim over it. It's the word all. It's an inclusive word indicating All, everyone, all of these with one accord. And so they were praying, all of these. And so what I want us to see is that the first thing we see about churches that are characterized by prayer is that everyone in the body is involving themselves in the act, in the spiritual discipline, in the joy 
of praying. Notice what it doesn't say. Uh, this certainly all verse uh, includes the 11 disciples. You'll notice the list that we get. Uh, Luke names off the 11 apostles, the 11 disciples. Uh, certainly these are involved in, in prayer. It says all of these with one accord. But notice that there were other people praying as well. It says the women, that is, there were women around, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and even Jesus' brothers, which, which is interesting because if you remember, Jesus' brothers thought he was crazy. They didn't follow him. They thought he was nutso. Well, apparently that changed after the resurrection because here they are, Jesus' brothers, and they too are involving themselves in prayer. Um, notice what it doesn't say. Um, it doesn't say that just the leadership of the disciples prayed. I mean, there was leadership just among the 11, once 12 disciples. You've got Peter, first and foremost, then you've got James, and you've got John. These were Jesus' inner circle. They involved, uh, they kind of made up the, the leadership of the 11. It doesn't say that just they were praying, although I'm sure they led. It's, it wasn't just them. It, it doesn't even say that, that the 11 themselves were the only ones praying. I mean, that was like the next level of leadership was all of these 11 original disciples. It doesn't say that just they were praying. In fact, if you have your Bibles, look ahead with me. It's not on the screen. To verse 15, it says, In those days Peter stood up among the brothers, and then there's a note. The company of persons was in all about 120. And so this group we come to discover uh, was a pretty sizable group. There were about 120 early followers of Jesus at this point. And the point, although uh, simple, is significant. Everyone was praying. It wasn't just the leadership. Every believer in the early church was involved in prayer. Uh, there's a book uh, by the name of Everything by Prayer, and the author's name is Armin Gesswine. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Um, and I ran across this quote, and he nailed it. This is exactly what the book of Acts describes in relationship to prayer. So listen closely to this. He says, When Christ ascended into heaven, all he left behind was a prayer meeting. Think about that. When Christ ascended into heaven, all he left behind was a prayer meeting. The early church didn't have a prayer meeting. The early church was the prayer meeting. In fact, in the early church, hear this, in the early church, every Christian was a prayer meeting Christian. Do you hear that? Every Christian was a prayer meeting Christian. He's saying exactly the point that I'm making, and this is the first characteristic that we see of churches that pray. Everyone is a prayer meeting Christian. And so Grace Bible Church, for us to experience growth God's way, simply everyone must pray. Everyone must pray. I want to ask us, is this true of us? Is this true of our congregation here? Is everyone a prayer meeting Christian? Or do we just think that people like myself, or maybe your Sunday school teacher, or maybe one of the kids workers, or maybe the elder, Jay, or maybe one of our deacons, or maybe someone who's kind of seasoned in the faith, they've been a believer for quite some time, do we think that those people are just the prayers? I mean, is it just those people that are supposed to be praying? If we want to be like the early church, if we want to experience growth God's way, then every believer, every one of us, needs to be a prayer meeting Christian. I want us to ask this question. Consider this. I think this will be helpful. 
what would our church be like? What would our community be like? What would our families be like? What would our relationship with unbelievers be like? What would our relationship with our coworkers be like? And what would our relationship with the kids that you go to school with, children, what would that be like? How would it be different if everyone prayed? If we as a church, everyone was involved in prayer? So the first thing we see is that everyone prayed. Everyone prayed. The second thing we see is not only does everyone pray, but the early church was united in prayer. And so this is the second thing I want us to see about churches that pray. That is, they are united in prayer. Notice this little phrase. These are small phrases that are significant. It's easy to, 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 to gloss them over, to look over them. Notice the phrase in verse 14. All of these with one accord. You see that? With one accord. We're in prayer. This is a very significant word when you look through the rest of the book of Acts, and in particular when you look through the rest of the New Testament, when we see people doing things in one accord, what that means is that their external activity is uh, united with an internal purpose. And what that means is that when people act in one accord, like for instance in the book of Acts, there's a story of a riot and the people were rioting and the text says that they were rioting with one accord. That is, they all had a common purpose in mind. That is, to hurt the apostles. I think it was Paul at that point. And so it it refers to a group of people having an internal unity, the same purpose, on the same mission, doing something external together. And so what this means is that Uh, the early church was united in prayer. A a translation, a a good helpful interpretation is this. It, It could say, it could say this, all of these prayed for the same things or all of these said the same in their prayers. And so what we see is that this early church, not only did they involve everyone in prayer, but they were united in prayer. They were united around the mission of the church. They were united around the purposes of God. They were united around one another. That is, they weren't praying selfishly. They weren't praying for what they wanted. They weren't praying for what they preferred. There was a unity of heart in these early believers that is just a wonderful picture of being united for the purposes of God in prayer. Um, I want to share with you um, a, few, uh, a few quotes is what I would call them. Uh, I don't know about you, but I really enjoy uh, hearing young children pray. Uh, as Shelley and I try to teach Asher, even now, he can barely talk, but we're trying to teach him to pray. And so uh, it's really, uh, it's really cry, uh, quite enjoyable uh, for us to do that. And so we've, we've taught him to say, this is what you say, Asher, thank you, God, which is a sign, you know, thank you, God, and he'll do it, or he'll say, thank you, God, and then we say, for, he says, for, and then we'll just let him thank God for whatever he wants, and of course, we encourage him to say, mommy and daddy, you know, (laughs) that's the first thing, you know, (laughs) Uh, uh, speaking of selfish prayers, but, um, so we say, you know, thank you, God, and then he goes on, and he thanks God for what he wants, and the very limited vocabulary that he has. Uh, The other night, it was a few days ago, we, you know, we, we did this and we said, thank you, you know, thank you. He said, thank you, God, for mommy and daddy and Jeremy, which is his uncle, and, and Gaga, which is his grandma. And then, in a very hilarious fashion, he just goes on and he's thanking God. He says, thank you for Woody, because he has a Woody doll. Thank you for Puppy, because he has a Puppy doll. <laughs> thank you for Beep Beep, which is his cars, you know. <laughs> and he just goes on this list of naming all of these things. It's hilarious, you know. I mean, in a cute way, of course. And uh, Shelly says, don't laugh at him. <laughs> I'm like, this is great, you know, hey, wonderful. Um, kids, when they pray, they kind of pray unfiltered. You know what I mean? They, they kind of pray for what they want. And they just ask God. And, and 
That's partly wonderful. Um, Here are a few other examples I want to share with you. Debbie H7 uh, prayed this. Dear God, please send a new baby for mommy. Uh, The new baby you sent last week cries too much. (laughs) That's that's all too fresh. Uh, uh, Jimmy H6. Dear God, who did you make smarter, boys or girls? My sister and I want to know. (laughs) Uh, Dear God, uh, Angela age 8. Could you please give my brother some brains? So far, he doesn't have any. (laughs) Uh, Agnes, age six. Dear God, please bring me a new brother. The one I got hits me all the time. Uh, Lois, age nine. Dear God, please help me in school. I need help in spelling, adding, history, geography, and writing. I don't need help in anything else. (laughs) Nothing else, really. (laughs) Uh, Finally, uh, David, age seven. Dear God, I need a raise in my allowance. Could you have one of your angels tell my dad? (laughs) Uh, Don't we say that all sometimes? You know, the wonderful thing, as I said, about kids praying is they're honest and they tell you what they want. And, and, uh, you know, if we were honest, they may be a tad bit uh, self-centered and selfish, but, you know, they're kids and they're learning. But, as it relates to unity in prayer, what's not so funny and what's not so enjoyable is when adults and believers in Jesus Christ pray uh, like they're a kid. What's not funny is when uh, adults pray for what they want, when we pray selfishly without a, a filter for God's will and God's mission. And so the second thing is this. For us to grow God's way, we have to be united in prayer. So I want to maybe jot these couple questions down. They're reflective questions, and I I've kind of been asking myself this this week, and I would ask you to consider this as well. Um, Number one, I think this is a challenge for us to really check our motives when it comes to prayer, and particularly as we pray for the church, as we pray for the body of Christ. Um, How are we praying? Are we praying for what we want? Are we praying for what God wants? Are we praying uh, for things that would serve us better or things that would serve others better? Are we praying for our preferences? Are we praying for the good of the church as a whole? I think this is a really helpful thing for us to ask God, in particular as we pray for the body. Are we praying united? Are we praying around the mission that God has given us? Are we praying for what God desires? And so we've seen a couple things. Number one, uh, churches that experience growth God's way, uh, they involve everyone in prayer. Uh, Number two, they're united in prayer. Number three, maybe most significantly in this text, they make prayer a priority. They make prayer a priority. Notice the end of verse 14. Um, All of these with one accord were, notice this word, you notice key word, devoting themselves to prayer. They were devoting themselves themselves to prayer. And what that indicates to us is that they were not just praying. They were not just praying. They were praying with devotion. They were praying in a particular manner. Uh, One Greek dictionary defines devotion this way. To be steadfastly attentive to or to give unremitting care to a thing. And so basically when the early church prayed, you could say they were focused on prayer. You could say they were undistracted in their prayer. You could say they were absorbed, I think is a really good word, in their prayer. They didn't just pray here and there and before meals and before bedtime and when they got up. They prayed. (laughs) They were absorbed in prayer. 
as they waited. I don't know about you if you've ever really experienced being uh, absorbed in prayer. Uh, I want to share a quick story with you, and it's not, a one, it's not an example to follow here. Well, to some degree it is, but uh, when I was in uh, college, I was uh, a youth pastor, a part-time youth pastor at a church about 45 miles away. And so on Wednesday nights and on Sunday mornings and sometimes Sunday evenings, I would drive out to this church out in the country, and I uh, was their youth pastor. And so um, one every Wednesday night, I would go up there and do my youth ministry, and then I would drive home 45 minutes, and I would leave about, I don't know, 8.30, you know, 8.45 to go home. 45 minutes, and uh, I really, that kind of became my prayer time. It was just something that, you know, I was fresh off ministry, and I didn't have much else to do driving in the car 45 minutes home, and so I just began to pray. That's when I would pray, and uh, one evening, I remember it very clearly, there was something that was heavy on my heart. Uh, something was going on in the church or in my ministry. I, I don't remember, but I just remember feeling very burdened, and I, and I began to pray as I was driving home, and I was very absorbed in it. My mind was so focused uh, on prayer. And the very first stretch of this ride was a very windy stretch. I mean, like almost 90-degree turns, just stretches that I would take for about 10 minutes. And uh, I should have known better, but I, uh, long story short, I was so engaged in prayer uh, that I pretty much missed a turn. It was like a 90-degree turn, and I was going about 45 miles an hour, and I went right past the turn into this... uh, pasture land, if you will. And so, of course, that woke me out of my prayer stupor. And, uh, of course, I was scared to death. And uh, so I go off the road, and, and I'm in this pasture, and, and there's a cattle guard. I know in Illinois, you, don't guys, you guys don't have cattle guards. In Texas, we have cattle guards, these big cattle guards with these big iron gates that aren't just flimsy, you know. And I was heading right at one. And so I just slammed my brakes on and shut my eyes, you know. And literally, I'm not lying to you. That much. <laughs> I was that far away from that. And of course, I was shaken and everything was fine. And uh, I, I waited to get on the highway <laughs> before I started praying again. But you know, that's just an example, I think, that the early church really devoted themselves. They were absorbed <clears throat> in prayer. They made prayer a priority. When you look through the rest of the book of Acts, um, what we find out is that prayer is something that comes up over and over again. It's not like the early church just kind of had this little prayer meeting and then they were filled with the Spirit and went on mission and then forgot about prayer. They didn't forget about prayer. In fact, Acts is is largely a book of of prayer. So let me share with you some of the things that they prayed for. It's a good example for us. Jot these down if you want. This is... This is what they prayed for, and this is what we can pray for. In Acts 1, chapter, uh, verse 24, they prayed for major decisions, like who was to replace Judas, you know, the one who uh, betrayed Jesus. They had to replace him, and so they prayed for God's wisdom. And so you and I, before major decisions, man, pray, just like they did. Uh, verse uh, 31 of chapter 4, they prayed to be bold in their witness. They had just experienced their initial taste of uh, rebuttal, of persecution. The leadership was like, slap on the hand. Don't you do that anymore? And they were like, uh, too bad. <laughs> we're going to be witnesses. And they pray this prayer, and they pray for boldness to face the persecution that they're facing. And it says the Spirit came upon them, and they were filled with boldness. What about you and I? Do we do that? I don't, I don't think I pray that kind of prayer for boldness enough. Number three, uh, in verse... 6 of chapter 6. They prayed during times of conflict. Uh, 
I think a misnomer of the early church is that everything was peachy keen and everything went really well and they all got along. They didn't. (laughs) Their church was just like ours to a large degree. And in chapter 6, there was a huge conflict in the church. What are we supposed to do about these Gentiles who are becoming Christians? And some of the Jews said, make them be Jews. And some of the Jews, uh, some of the apostles like Paul said, no, don't make them be Jews. And there was a significant, like, church split, big church split kind of an issue. And what we find out is that in conflict... Both sides of the aisle, if you will, they prayed. They prayed in times of conflict. And so uh, if there be times of conflict here or conflict in your family or, or you know, your uh, workplace, pray. Uh, number four, they prayed in crisis. I don't know about you, but there are times in life that we face what would be considered a crisis moment. Uh, things aren't looking good for our business. Someone Uh, passes away unexpectedly. There are things, uh, pressure at work. There are crises kind of a moment. Uh, For the early church in uh, chapter 12, verse 5, it was Peter being thrown in jail. He was their leader, and the authorities put him in jail, and the intent was the very next day to cut off his head or to kill him. Peter was on death row, and this is the church leader. And so in Acts chapter 12, the church, it says that all night long they were praying. They prayed in times of crisis. And if you remember how the story ended, Peter uh, comes out of jail but with the help of an angel and knocks on the door and they're like, who is it? And he's like, it's me, Peter. And the woman, the, the lady who answers the door is like, oh, and she runs off and leaves him at the door. You know, he's like, hello. <laughs> and he's like, she's like, it's Peter, it's Peter. They're like, no, it's a ghost, it's a ghost. They didn't anticipate, you know. And he's like, hello, I'm still at the door. And uh, it's a wonderful story. Uh, number five. They prayed for people who were serving. They prayed for people who were serving in the church. Uh, when Paul and Barnabas went on their first, uh, first missionary journey, uh, you hear that they uh, prayed and they laid their hands on them and they sent them out as missionaries. And so what a wonderful example for us to pray for people in, who are in ministry. And I'm not just talking about myself. Sunday school teachers, Awana workers, people who serve in the cafe, people who help with the diner, anyone and everyone that you know here and elsewhere who's involved in ministry, pray for them. Uh, Sixth and finally, they prayed for church leadership. In Acts 14, uh, we find that Paul is going around to various cities. He's planted churches there, and then he's going back to visit these churches to see how they're doing. And as he goes back, he appoints elders. He's like, you and you and you, you guys should be leaders of these churches. And what Paul does is he doesn't just appoint them as elders, but he prays for them. He prays for the leadership of the churches. And so I encourage you, man, pray for me and pray for Jay and pray for the leadership and and pray for various levels of leadership, leadership in different ministries. A ton of people exhibit leadership here um, and we need to be prayed for. And so for us to experience growth God's way, we have to make prayer a priority. We have to make prayer a priority corporately, which is what we do here on Sunday mornings and Sunday school as we gather. We have to make prayer corporately a priority. Let me read this quote to you. There's a, uh, a famous British Baptist preacher. Maybe you've heard of him. His name is Charles Spurgeon, about 150 years ago. Maybe one of the greatest preachers of all time. He said this, and this is <laughs> so convicting to me. He says this, The condition of the church may be very accurately gauged by its prayer meetings. So is the prayer, so is the prayer meeting a graceometer or a graceometer. So is the prayer meeting a graceometer. And from it, we may judge of the amount of divine working among a people. If God be near a church, it must pray. And if he be not near a church, one of the first tokens of his absence 
would be a slothfulness in prayer. And so I wonder, um, I hope that doesn't describe us. I don't, I don't want us to be characterized by slothfulness in prayer, corporately. What about individually? We're going to wrap up. What about individually? Um, you know, I think we're all on different levels and have different experiences when it comes to individual prayer. But I want this to be a challenge to you. Everyone prayed in the early church. Everyone prayed from Peter on to the little kid that's a part of the church. They all prayed. And so I want to challenge you to do that on an individual basis. I, you know, it may start with just getting up every day and taking five minutes to pray. Or maybe it's taking five minutes as you go to bed to pray. What I do a lot of times because I don't sleep well or it's hard for me to go to sleep at night, I'll pray as I'm trying to go to sleep. That sounds really bad. But as I'm trying to sleep, I pray myself to sleep. That's a wonderful thing to do, to rehash the day, to think about the next day. Um, Martin Luther said this, it's a good thing to let prayer be the first business of the morning and the last in the evening. So maybe that's how you begin uh, your prayer. Uh, I, I encourage you to think about being creative in prayer. It's one thing, and it's a really wonderful habit to set aside time, as much time as you can in isolation. But if you're like me, sometimes isolation and time is hard to come by. And so, uh, you know, still pursue that. But think about being creative. Uh, when you're doing the dishes, you can multitask and pray. And when you're doing the laundry, you can multitask. Or when you're on your lunch break, you can multitask. Spend those kind of moments in conversation with God. Maybe it's on your drive to work, guys. If you have a lot of time in the car, uh, pray. Why don't you pray? Turn off the radio <laughs> a bit and pray. I want to cl- conclude with this story. In the early church, the gospel, as we know, went forth from Jerusalem, and it did go into all the world. And the gospel, one of the very first places that the gospel went at the hands of the original apostles was Africa. And so uh, Africa has an early history of being one of the very first places uh, that the church grew. And and the the tradition, the story, if you want to call it a legend, you can't, uh, went something like this. And I found this very interesting. Uh, In in those remote regions of Africa where the gospel took root, these believers... uh, thought it was necessary to spend time in prayer alone. And so what they would do is they would walk outside of their village into kind of the wooded areas. And what they would do is they would go to the same place every day. And so you would have this believer going to this spot and this believer going to that spot and they would kind of have their own little prayer rooms. And what happened is that as the early Christians uh, began their habit of prayer, what they would do is they would go to the same spot every day. And so if you walk the same path in the grass every day, what happens? There's a path that develops, right? And so they would have what they called these prayer paths that individual believers would take every day. And so what that meant was when there was an individual believer who uh, was, let's say, slacking on their prayer life, what do you think would happen to their prayer path? It would get green, right? It would begin to grow up. And so when that began to happen, they would say to one another uh, this phrase. They would say, brother or sister, the grass grows on your path. The grass grows on your path. I think that's a good question for us and for me. Is the grass growing on your prayer path? If it is, like it is mine sometimes, maybe we uh, set out to make that prayer path afresh. So in closing, churches that experience growth God's way, what do they do? They pray. Everyone is involved in prayer. They are united in prayer around a common mission and purpose. And they make prayer a priority. And so Grace Bible Church, 
Will we make prayer a priority this year? I hope so. Pray with me. Father, thank you so much that we can be challenged in this area. Father, I for one, I feel uh, so inadequate to even share (laughs) in this room uh, because my prayer life is not where I want it to be. And Father, I have a feeling many of my brothers and sisters in this room, they would say the same. And so Father, would you um, do what you need to do in our lives through your word to rebuke us, to instruct us, to challenge us, to convict us, to encourage us, and to train us to be the praying church that you want us to be. Father, we don't want uh, to be without power. We don't want to be uh, without uh, your divine intervention. We, <laughs> we need your help. Father, we don't want to be slothful in prayer. And so if prayer is your grace-ometer, Father, we don't want our grace to be low. We want it to be high. And so may this week, may we be found um, on our knees or in our closets or praying in our cars or wherever it may be. And I pray this week that you would stir in our hearts uh, to pray, to seek your face, to pray for uh, our mission here at Grace, to pray for people who are lost, to pray for our families, to pray in times of crisis, to pray for all of these things that the early church prayed for. Father, we want to do that. And so we ask for your help. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.